I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. And you can hear that cycling around the theme in that what is God is what is the Father's is mine and what the Spirit shares will not be the Spirit's own but will be mine, which comes from the Father, which comes from me. It it's all encapsulated in our, the painting that we have on the wall, the Matisse. It's the circle. As we said last time we looked at it, you don't really know who the leader is, you don't know where it begins and ends. They're the wrong kinds of questions to be asking about a dance like this. It's the great joy of everyone connected. But this text tells us that the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth in this text. The Spirit of Truth. And truth, of course, is something that we thought we understood. Something is true or it is not true. But in the last few years, we've had to deal with statements like untruth. Uh, sorry, uh, statements like alternative facts, um, which have come out of the White House. Um, statements like uh, truthiness. It's something, and it's a, that's a, a word coined by the American comedian Stephen Colbert, wanting to tell us that, well, if something sort of feels like it ought to be true, then it probably is true. That's the kind of world we're dealing with. And fake news. I assume that fake news, well, obviously we know what fake news is for Donald Trump. It's anything he doesn't want to hear. But it's that sense, well, it can't be, if I don't want to hear it, then it can't be real. So we've, we've moved into what a lot of people are talking about as a post-truth environment. Who would have thought, even three or four years ago, that we would have to be arguing about whether something is true or not? What do we mean by truth? We got that famous question that Pilate asked Jesus in the moment of his condemnation before his crucifixion. What is truth? And you don't know whether Pilate is asking that ironically or, or like he just lost all hope. Well, truth is whoever's got the biggest weapons at the time, whatever they say is true. Or was he, does he genuinely want to know? Is he genuinely morally confused? How do we know what truth is? We've got an American president at the moment who can flat out deny that he has said something even then when there is tape evidence of him saying it. And he seems to be able to get away with it. Which is flabbergasting, isn't it? Like, what do you do? What do you do when you come up against, and this happens with children that are sort of a rough, roughly around the same age as actually one of my grandchildren is struggling with this at the moment, that if you really, really say it loudly and say it passionately enough, 
it comes true, even if you were the one that took the extra biscuit and you say you don't, you didn't. You know, you can say it as hard as you like, but eventually you kind of get found out and we were able to sort out the truth. And that's really important when you're seven to get that sorted out, isn't it? Those of you who can remember when you were seven or can remember having children or knowing children at that age, it's a real struggle because you learn that you can actually tell a lie and get away with it sometimes. We do it all the time. But you've also got to work all that out where, where you can get away with it and where you shouldn't. So there's a constant working it out at that age. Donald Trump appears to not need to. He just says whatever he wants to. And even though we know there's evidence that to, to the, the alternative, he, he, he's able to kind of get away with it. So with that happening, we've kind of moved into a different world. And as some people are saying, a post-truth world. So what can this passage tell us at this moment that help us deal with truth and trying to understand it? Well, it starts by Jesus saying, when the spirit of truth comes. Another way of saying that might be, when the fundamental true experience of the universe is present with us, when the fundamental truth of everything as it really is, <clears throat> is present with us, it's an acknowledgement of things as they really are. In one sense, truth is all around us. Remember, the very first story we have in the book of Genesis is this idea of the spirit hovering or brooding over the waters. That's in the first couple of verses of Genesis. So this notion that the spirit of God, the truth of God, the reality of everything is already present in that beginning moment. That's, that's the ancient story as it tells us. But Jesus seems to be indicating that there's a new way of experiencing that truth. And we looked at it last week in the story of the second chapter of Acts. When the Spirit comes in a new way, in a way that's it's kind of new and old. It's new uh, in that it happens to everyone. It's old in that this is the way God had often spoken to specific individuals in past, as we talked about last week. And the disciples recognise what's happening as God doing what God said God would do back in the prophecies of Joel, which was God's spirit would be present amongst all people, not just the special few that God had chosen for a particular task, but present for all of us. So when the spirit of truth comes, there will be truth in all of us. So what does that actually look like, though? Because... The next part of the sentence says, the spirit of truth will come and he will guide you into all truth. I really like the idea that we're being guided, not forced or cajoled or required. We're being guided. And truth sometimes is, some, is something that's very difficult for us to grasp. And we need to be guided into it in a way that is, that is gentle and inviting. The story that makes sense to me of this, and I'm sure I've told you this before, it's a story of a friend of mine who, um, and this is not, it's a very common story. He invited a girl home to meet his mum and dad, somebody he'd been going out with and they felt there was something special going on and he wanted uh, his parents to meet this young woman. And so they went home and they had tea together, all of them, and they had often struggled with this young man, the, the parents, 
in getting him to do the chores around the house, particularly the dishes after tea. It was the days before dishwashers and even dishwashers are hard to load, aren't they? How lazy do we get? Even if those of us who've got dishwashers complain when we have to load them and unload them. Not me, of course, but I've heard other people do that. Anyway, this was before dishwashers. And he would, he would always grumble and try and get out of the dishes. At the end of the meal, though, with the, the family, his girlfriend jumped up and said, why don't we do the dishes? She went in and started to clear up. You know, she wanted to obviously look good in, in the family's eyes. And you know what he did? He jumped up and he ran into the kitchen and started doing the dishes. And they were enjoying themselves and laughing. And Same job, different motivation. The dishes still got done. And, you know, that's, that's what guiding into all truth is. It's being drawn into something that is real and, and, and experiential to different motivation. Because truth is sometimes hard to deal with because it's things as they really are, not things as we wish them to be or things as we think they should be. You, you might think something should be the way it should be, but you can't make it that way just by want, wanting it to be or wishing it. Truth is experiencing things as they really are. We all of us have to deal with this if we get a diagnosis of a serious illness. What we want is for it not to be true. We want it to be a mistake. We want to have the wrong records to have come back to the doctor and they're for somebody else. We want lots of things to be different than they are, but this is the truth of it. And we have to find ways of dealing with it and accepting it. The breakdown of a relationship, the death of somebody we love, all of these truths, are, they're irrefutable. But we have to find ways of being guided into them so that we can honestly and sincerely experience life as it is. Holy people, the people that we revere, the men and women that we've met or the people of history, they seem to be able to be clear-eyed in their view of the world. They're, not a, they're far less surprised than the rest of us when they see terrible things happen and when they see wonderful things happen because they're clear-eyed, they see it as it really is. Not as it's supposed to be or as we're sort of re- required to, ex- to, to say we experience it. I mean, a really good example in our culture, uh, and we're, we're dealing with it again now in, with the federal government's attempt to reintroduce tax cuts for the wealthy. It's what we've learned to call neoliberalism. It's the idea that if you make life easier for the people at the top so that they have more money, what the money they have, they will invest in jobs and the money will trickle down. It's the idea that a, a rising tide lifts all boats. Now, we've been dealing with this since the 80s. And when you look at the work of people like Joseph Stiglitz, the Nobel Prize winning economist, uh, and John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, who never won the Nobel Prize but probably should have. Um, when you look at the work of these men, they say, well, where is the evidence? We've, it's never happened. Because once you give people more money that don't actually need it, they don't need to, to, to do anything with it. They can just spend it on luxury cars, for example, which have, have spiked out of sight in Australia. I can't remember the figures, but I was reading them recently. The the number of luxury cars sold today compared to a decade ago. In fact, where I drive home on Glen Osmond Road, there is now a huge showroom selling incredibly luxurious cars, Lamborghinis, and it's near your place, Bob, isn't it? And it, 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 suddenly they've just appeared out of nowhere. So somebody in Adelaide must be willing to buy these enough for them to pay the rent on this building. It's a big space. 
But the idea that, that, that that's going to um, materialise into wealth for everyone has just not been proven at all since the 80s. In fact, we know that inequality has been growing. And yet, we're still being told by those in power that this is a truth we must believe in, we must follow. And this will be the argument that the federal government will now use to indicate, that, uh, to, to get support in the Senate to pass these tax cuts. But again, it's that not facing things as they really are, but a wishful thinking. But Jesus says, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. And when he says you, we often mean, we often think Jesus is talking to us as individuals. And whilst that's true, Jesus is sitting at this point in the, in the story with his disciples. Probably the inner group of 12 and maybe more, we don't really know. And he's saying the Spirit will lead you into all truth and you can easily be seen as you the plural. In other words, as a community, you will know the truth. Not because it's all truth. And the idea that you as an individual could know all the true things in the world is like you'd end up being like Superman which we know is just a fantasy. But we as a community can know all truth. Maybe not immediately, but we can know things together that we can't know as individuals. For example, we can come together here to pray and as individuals, some of us can be feeling completely wretched this morning, beyond hope, with no sense of spiritual experience or no sense of God's presence. But together as a community, we can sense that. Because there are other people here who are feeling connected. And next week it might be the reverse. You might be the one who is feeling completely wretched and without hope. And another person next to you is feeling a a strong sense of the presence of God. So it's together as a community that we're being invited, uh, sorry, guided into all truth. And we do that by reading the Bible together. That's why we keep reading this document for 2,000 years. That's why we pay attention to the tradition. So when we want to try and understand and experience, what has the church said about this in the past? What have the great figures of the church said about this? doesn't mean we have to follow exactly what they say, but it means we need to pay attention to what we've, what we've said together in the past. What is our sense of who we are? And finally, Jesus says that he will not, the Spirit will not speak on the Spirit's own behalf, but will speak the experience of Jesus and of God the Father. There's this sense that there's this complete unity within the experience of God and the, and the, um, the Celtic knot on the front of your uh, order of service, the, which is the Trinitarian Celtic knot. Again, you don't know where it begins and where it ends. It's just constantly revolving and, and, and moving and like the painting in one thing. So there's this idea that God is present in this experience of everyone together. And it's really hard for us to understand, but it's a sort of the the idea that one and one makes more than two, and four and four makes more than eight. It's that sense where there's something present amongst us as a group that we may not have as individuals. We're going to pray in a minute for... The, the protests in uh, Hong Kong at the moment. 
And there are individuals there who must be frightened to death and have said so on in media. You may have seen people covering their faces with signs in order for them not to be seen on, on uh, surveillance cameras because they're personally frightened. But together as a group, there's a different kind of experience of truth that they're able to explore. So when the Spirit comes, he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. In other words, will speak a truth that is bigger than just the moment, but a, a big universal truth, the experience of God universally everywhere. That's the kind of experience of the Spirit of God who will guide us. And we need to be guided, don't we? Guiding is gentle. It's calling. It's being alongside. It's holding the hand as we cross the street. It's all of that experience of gentleness. When the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. You, us, a community, into all truth. When? Well, not yet. Because we don't have it now, do we? It's, an on, it's a constant growing and changing. And as we said at the beginning with the, the strange position we find ourselves in with things like truthiness and fake news and alternative facts are growing, in, being guided into all truth will be different now than it was even a few years ago as we try and filter that out, as we try and make sense of who we are and what we mean to each other as a people and what our responsibilities are to each other and how we can be one community and guided into all truth. So be it.